Welcome to the St. Matt's 6pm podcast, where you can listen to sermons from our evening service. John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Evening, everyone. Thanks for being here. Great to see you. Discussion question to get you warmed up. A bit of a question for the philosophers and the romantics among us. How do you know when you're in love? How do you know when you're in love? Is it when you can't stop thinking about the other person? Is it when you lose your appetite? Happened to me this one time when I was 17. Lost my appetite for like two days. It was crazy. Never happens to me. I'm always hungry. But... Happened then. How do you know when you're in love? I figured I should go to the experts and find out, so I went to Cosmopolitan online. That's right. (laughs) Cosmo still exists. I didn't know, but it does. And they thought some of the best indicators for whether or not you're in love are when you love how the other person smells, you miss them when they're not around, and you have fun with them no matter what. Super helpful stuff. Hope you're writing this down. Actually, the article had 42 indicators to let you know if you might, in fact, be in love. So I guess consult that at your leisure. But maybe the reason why we need articles answering this question with 42 indicators, maybe the reason when I started to Google this question, these were the top autofill suggestions that I got. A lot of people are Googling to find out whether or not they're in love, I guess. is because we are all confused about love. Maybe as a society, we are hopelessly confused about love. Maybe as a society, we're confused about love. We're confused about romantic love generally. Uh, Maybe especially. And because we've made that the most important kind of love in our society, it leaves us confused about the other kinds of love as well. In this short series we've been doing in Advent, we've been thinking about things Christians say that are kind of confusing. But I figured to finish off, Why not look at something that not just Christians, but everyone seems to be generally confused about? We're going to think about love. Specifically, we're going to consider four things we often get wrong about love, four misconceptions about love, and we're going to look at how those ideas are challenged by God's word in 1 John 4. Is everyone ready? We're going to jump into it. Let me pray, and we'll get into it. Lord God, we pray that you would teach us. Uh, We know the wind is blowing. And that we've just had Christmas cheer, but we pray that you'd help us to look at your word now and really think about it and be changed by it. For Jesus' glory. Amen. So misconception number one. We think love is God. 
We think love is God. Ernest Becker was an atheist social commentator about 50 years ago, and I know you're thinking, oh, please tell me more about this atheist social commentator from 50 years ago. Gladly. He wrote a Pulitzer Prize-winning book uh, called The Denial of Death, and in this book, part of what he does is he looks at the rise and dominance of romantic love in the West. And this is what he writes. The self-glorification that we need in our innermost being, we now look for in the love partner. We want to be rid of our faults. We want to be rid of our feelings of nothingness. We want to be justified. We want to know our existence hasn't been in vain. We want redemption, nothing less. To be loved by another, to experience romantic love, so often in our culture is seen as a kind of redemption, as salvation. And so it becomes the most important thing in the world. In this line of thinking, to be single is to be second class. A branch did just fall out of the window up above. Okay, hang in there, guys. It's going to be really hard to keep preaching, I can tell already. To go without sex is to be deprived or oppressed, to live a half-life. The right romantic partner is called a soulmate. It has this spiritual quality to it. The quest for the one is the greatest quest you're ever going to go on. I don't think I'm exaggerating. This is how we think. Love is the greatest thing. Love, specifically romantic love, is our God. But God himself pushes back against that idea a little bit in 1 John 4. And John writes this. God is love. And that's not the same thing at all as love is God. Just one quick sentence for the grammar nerds amongst us who are thinking, well, can't those two nouns be interchangeable? The way John phrases the short statement in Greek is with a the in front of God so that he's signaling to us that these aren't interchangeable. You just have to take my word for it, the rest of you. Uh, he's saying that God is love, not that seeing God, sorry, whenever we see love, we see God, but that God's character perfectly embodies what love is. When you look at God, you see perfect love. Now, ignoring the storm outside, it seems like summer finally arrived this week for us. So I'm sure some of you have already gone to the beach. Great. Good job, the two of you that did that. Uh, I assume more people will be going to the beach soon. Next time you're at the beach, I want you to notice the crashing waves. And then I want you to just raise your eyes up above these big, strong waves and notice the white caps beyond them and then look beyond them and look at that seemingly endless line where water meets sky. And whenever I do that at the beach, I have this very profound thought. Man, the ocean is big. Right? It's just, it's big. I don't know a better word to describe the ocean than that. The ocean is big. Other things are big, sure, but there's something about the ocean and its power that generates this feeling of bigness the way other things don't for me. The ocean is a wonderful expression of bigness. And God is the perfect expression of love. God is love. That means that romantic love isn't the greatest thing in the world. It's not even the greatest kind of love. The love that God has for us, that's even bigger. And in that love, that's where we find redemption. That's where we're justified. That's where our lives find their meaning. If you want to know love, if you want to know perfect love, real love, You've really got to know God. Misconception number two. 
We think that we need to love God in order for him to truly love us. I grew up going to a, a church that does the prayer book every week. And so we'd have this book that would guide our service. And every week, most weeks actually, uh, we'd, we'd start this particular order of service and we'd arrive at page 120 and it would have these words that I, I don't really even need to read even though after all these years. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. Jesus said, this is the great and first commandment and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I haven't been to a prayer book service for I don't even know how many years now, but it's just drilled into my brain because we repeated it again and again. And a big reason why that statement is in the prayer book is so that we can ponder God's invitation to love, realize that we fail to do it, and enjoy the fact that God still loves us even when we fail. But the message I got as a teenager when I bothered to consider this at all was that God was more than likely disappointed with me, that I probably wasn't actually a Christian, that I needed to love God more. Even though I had the words and the pages memorized, it's funny how easily we can miss the point. It's so easy for us to think that what matters is how much we love God. When actually what really matters is how he loves us. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Let me put this misconception in a different way. We think it's our love for God that holds our relationship with him together. It's our love that counts. Our love is the decisive love. Our love is what seals the relationship. But let's look at 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has for us. The great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. If we put our trust in Jesus, that's what we are. God loves us like a father loves his children. Now, I'm fortunate enough to be a father. I have my kids here tonight. That's coincidence. Um, but it's great to see you guys. I've never seen you preach before, so I'm a little nervous. Uh, and it's good that they're here so they can keep me accountable because I want to let you know, my kids can be real grub sometimes. I, I, I had a different word before, but they're here. so They can be kind of mean to me. Uh, it's, it's no secret in our house that they much, 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 much prefer their mother. And so a punishment in our family is that dad has to put them to bed. Unfortunately, about 50% of the time, I still need to put somebody to bed. And so when my two-year-old finds out that I am going to put him to bed, he goes, No, dad. I want mom. If my five-year-old, who knows what I'm talking about, hears that I'm putting him to bed, she just throws her head out like this every time and goes, No! Okay. <laughs> All truth here. You know what else is true? Kind of hurts my feelings a little bit. But what's even more true is that it doesn't affect my love for them at all. Of course it wouldn't. I'm their dad. And when they are just little kids, it's my love, not theirs, that holds our relationship together. And it's God's love for us that holds our relationship together with him. If you want to know real love, you've really got to know God. Misconception number three, we think that love 
is a feeling. I mean, that's the whole idea behind falling in love, right? Trying to work out if your feelings are strong enough to be described by this elusive word, love. And so if the feelings go, it's over. Even if they just move up and down, we're controlled by them. In the Bible, love isn't a feeling. It's accompanied by feeling, but first and most importantly, love is an action. Love is a choice. Notice how John describes God's love for us. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. God's love is captured, it's expressed, proved by action, not just by words, not by feelings. He sent his most precious son, his one and only son, as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus entered into our world, not just to be super chill and super nice and just create good vibes with everyone. He came into the world to die for us. He died to take the consequences for our wrongs so that we could be reconciled to God, so that we could be atoned, made at one, so that we could have life forever with God because Jesus gives life. Feelings come and go. They ebb and flow, and words come really easy. But actions matter. Love is expressed in the choice to self-sacrifice. In the decision to put someone else first. And the greatest act of love that has ever been done is when God the Father and God the Son decided to send God the Son into the world to die for us. If you want to know real love, You've really got to know God. From time to time, I'll hear young adults be honest, and I appreciate their honesty and admit that they aren't feeling God's love right now. And I don't want to make light of that feeling because that can be a really painful place to find yourself. But how feelings prove nothing about God's love. God's love was proved for us on the cross. If you want to know real love, you've really got to know God. Misconception number four, love is made perfect when it's returned. We think love is made perfect when it's reciprocated. Unrequited love, so painful. But when love is returned, that's perfect love. We think of love sometimes in terms of a closed circuit. I love them and they love me and our love for each other is this discrete separate unit to my love for other people. There's no overlap. I love them, I love them, I love them separately. Have you ever heard the phrase, you complete me? You don't know this phrase? Oh, let me teach you a pickup line. All right. When I was 18 at uni, I was doing a Hebrew oral exam. It wasn't going well, so I busted out, uh, which means you complete me in Hebrew. My lecturer didn't swoon. It didn't help me at all. But worth a shot. But now you know. Uh, you complete me. Give it a shot sometime, I guess. You complete me is the idea that the love of another whom we also love will make us whole. It'll fill the hole inside us. It'll make us complete. And that's the end goal of love, for us to receive it, cherish it, enjoy it, hold onto it, and then return it, and in doing so, be made whole, be made complete. But again, John is saying something different. He says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, If we love one another, 
God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. There's that idea of being made complete. But here John is saying that God's love is made complete in us. God's love is made perfect, not just when we love him back, but when we love other people out of his love. When we share his love for others. God's love is made perfect, whole, complete. When it's inclusive, not exclusive. John writes, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Do you get this extraordinary privilege God is extending to us? God doesn't just give us his love for us to enjoy ourselves. He gives it to us so that we can multiply it, so that we can bring others into it to enjoy it. And in doing that, we get to make it greater. We get to make his love complete. Let me tell you an underrated scene from Harry Potter. Uh, don't worry, it's in the movie too, if books are a little too hard. Uh, Harry is on the train for the first time on his way to school, and he's just made his very first friend, a guy named Ron. You know this. When the lunch lady stops by the carriage, she asks if they'd like any food from the trolley, and Ron mumbles that he's, he's got a sandwich, he's fine, thanks. He doesn't really want a sandwich, but he has to put on a brave face because he has no money. But Harry right now is flush with cash. And so he buys as much as he can from the trolley and he shares all of it with Ron. And he does so joyfully, he does so gleefully because for the first time in his life he has something worth sharing. And that's what God does for us. He takes us from these love-starved orphans and he makes us rich. He fills us up with his love. He fills us up to overflowing so that out of that overflow, we can multiply it, we can grow it, we can extend it to others. We go from orphans to sons and daughters. We go from impoverished to lavished upon. We go from having nothing to offer to being able to tell a world that is so confused. If you want to know real love, You've really got to know God. God, I pray for everyone here, for each of us, that we'd know this love. We'd know it from you directly and we'd know it as we share it with one another. For our joy and for the glory of your Son. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. St. Matt's West Bend Hills 6pm Congregation is a collection of people who want to be changed by Jesus, to have a deeper connection with God, deeper community with one another and deeper concern for our world. We'd love you to join us on a Sunday soon. For all the details, check out our website at stmatts.org.au and be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a sermon.